We just sung it. We reign, you reign above it all. Now you need to ask yourself a question this morning. Does he really reign above it all in your life? Musicians led us. We joined with them. But the reality of the thing has got to ring clearly in our own lives. You reign above it all. Regardless of the problems, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of what happens, it's really got to come down to the one truth, does he really reign? Amen? Good morning to you all, and it's good to be with you again. And those who are watching at home and those in Haida Gwaii, this is Palm Sunday. One that we know by name, but we often miss the import of it. However, let's read from Luke, the story of Luke, chapter 19 of the Palm Sunday. Get it in our minds, and then we'll think about it this morning hour. Luke says, chapter 19, beginning with verse 28, And when he, that's Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead. <clears throat> and going to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount which is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, and where you are entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you untie it, you shall say, The Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went away, found it just as he told them, and as they were untying the colt, the owners said, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the back of this coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along the road, they spread their cloaks or their clothes on the road. And I was drawing near to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And a multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones are going to cry out. And as you study the life of Jesus in the pages of the four Gospels, you will realize very quickly and discover that all the material about the life of Jesus focuses basically on the last week of his life. Those who wrote the stories of Jesus were very clearly pointing out to us the most important part of the disclosure of who Jesus really was and is, is revealed in the last week of his life. The words that describe the last week of his life 
are a litany of emotions. They represent the ups and the downs of the week. We know them. The crowd shouting, Hosanna! And then the confrontation with Pilate. The denial. The trial. The scourging of Jesus. Crucifixion on the cross. And burial in a tomb. But finally, I think the most electrifying sentence ever uttered by angels. He's not here. He's risen. Palm Sunday that we're celebrating this morning was a, at the best a day of temporary triumph. It was a week that resounded with shouts of praise but a week that indicates the abysmal denial and betrayal, the duplicity of Judas who will betray him, the unfaithfulness of Peter who said, I don't know this guy. And we see the weakness of his disciples, all of whom fled from the scene, the hesitancy and the inconclusiveness of Pilate, the agony of death between two thieves on the cross, one who cursed him and the other asked for his forgiveness. And then there were three hours of darkness as Jesus hung on the cross and finally death in a buried, in a borrowed tomb. However, Palm Sunday began as a day of great celebration unrestrained shouts of joy. Jesus was entering into Jerusalem for what would be the last time. It was Passover time. The city was jammed with pilgrims from all over the world. And Jesus' deliberate, prophetic way of arrival as he entered and he went to the temple was such that it captured the attention of multitudes of people. They were captivated by his arrival. Let me look at with you this morning at three aspects that I see from this story of Palm Sunday. First, all of this story of Palm Sunday, which you and I are thinking about this morning, was written by God before the beginning of time. You need to go back really to Genesis. You say, Genesis? Yes, Genesis. Genesis tells us in chapter 3, verse 1, and you know the story as well as I, that the serpent was more crafty than any other of the animals that the Lord God had made. He'd said to the woman, the serpent said, <laughs> do you really believe what God said? That you must not eat from any tree of the garden? God had already told Adam and Eve prior to this statement by the devil if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. Note carefully, God had not said, I will punish you if you do it, or I will make you die, or I will kill you. God simply said, I will not need to punish you because the natural consequence of eating from this tree is death. 
sooner or later, if you eat, you're going to die. And in many ways, God had made man similar in certain aspects to himself, and thus man must have the freedom of choice. And so Genesis tells us, and again, you know the story, that Adam and Eve took and ate, and death for all humanity became a reality for the first time. It was manifest initially in that Adam and Eve realized they were naked. And Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 said the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, together and made coverings for themselves. But God in His great grace sent them out of the garden with their sin covered with blood. Genesis tells us the Lord God had made for Adam and Eve garments of skin and He clothed them. And thus the entrance of sin for all mankind was with the clothing of Adam and Eve by skins that God had made for them that indicated very clearly the necessity of a Savior who would come and die and shed His own blood for all mankind. There was no other way to deal with sin and death for mankind. God the Father would have to send his only begotten son to die, to bleed for mankind in order that we might be brought back into fellowship with Almighty God. Thousands of years later, God's remedy for sin began to be clearly evident in Jesus in the last year of his life as he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. As Jesus rode the coat into Jerusalem that day, Matthew and Mark tell us the people shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And they threw their cloaks on the animal for Jesus to ride upon. And we need to note, biblically very clearly this morning, that this was a clear indication that the people knew the prophetic implication of this, that Jesus was coming in as their king. The writer of Second Kings, thousands of years previously to the Palm Sunday story, said in Second Kings chapter 9, verse 13, about the anointing of another king, not Jesus, another king. But it said in Second Kings chapter 2, 19, they hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him on the steps, and they blew a, a trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. It was something that was done. It was quite normal for kingship. No wonder the gospel writer then tells us in Luke that they brought the coat to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on him. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks or their clothes on the road in front of him. These disciples and the people were well aware of ancient prophecies. They knew what was happening. 
They knew the biblical import of what was happening. And what they were doing was actually proclaiming the enthronement of Jesus of Nazareth as their king. Luke tells us in chapter 19, we begin with the 37 and go onwards, as he was drawing near already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they'd seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. We're also told, and again you know the story, that they strewed palm branches on the roadway to Jerusalem before him. Biblically, palm branches were often used in celebration of victory. If you went back a long way from this story to David, King David's time, and you know the story of King David, they were used to honor royalty in his time. The fact that the history of palm branches makes actually a perfect connection with the true identity of Jesus as King of Kings. Palm branches also represented Jesus being worthy of the title of high priest. The palm tree, and you can check it out, takes 30 years to bear fruit. And man could not become a high priest until he was 30 years old. And the ministry of Jesus began when he was 30. People spread their garments on the road in their triumphal entry. And it too was an acknowledgement and declaration that Jesus was the King of Kings, the promised Messiah. The Hebrew wording in Genesis tells us that among these clothes that were spread in front of him, among them were many what they called in those days prayer shawls. Prayer shawls, which were really a seamless garment with four corners, and a tassel attached to each of the four corners, reminding the people, and they all knew this, even though we don't recognize it often, the people knew the commands of God. Upon the collars were the Hebrew letters on these tassel garments that spelt Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It was a symbolic reminder of the promised Messiah who was now entering in in Jerusalem. And whether it was palm branches or prayer shawls, they all pointed to the acknowledgement that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the high priest. He was a king. And note, note carefully, because we often miss this point, but note carefully, all of this had been prophetically written thousands of years previously in Genesis and Zechariah. You say, no, 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 it's New Testament. It had all been written previously to this. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, now obviously that's a long way from the story of Palm Sunday, you know that. In Genesis chapter 49, 10, it said, a scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nation to him. 
He will tether his donkey to a vine, his coat to the choicest branches. He will wash his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. And if you went back to Zechariah, still thousands of years, many, many years before Palm Sunday comes. And Zechariah says in chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, the daughter of Jerusalem. See, the king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Carefully note this morning that Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey was to make public totally public, his claim to be the Messiah, the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy as King of Israel. He rode into the capital city on Palm Sunday as a conquering king, and the people hailed him as such. The streets of Jerusalem, the royal city, were open to him, and he proceeded to the temple because he was and still is the leader of a spiritual kingdom. He accepted the worship and the praise of the people because he merited it. No longer did he tell his disciples, be quiet about it. He accepted the shouts of praise and worship openly and the spreading of cloaks as an act of homage for royalty. Jesus was openly declaring on Palm Sunday that this was the fact that he was the Messiah whom the people had been waiting for. But unfortunately, the praise that people lavished on Jesus was not really because he was taken as Savior, but because they realized and they wished and they hoped and they prayed for that he was a Savior not necessarily from sin, but some who would be call him a messianic savior who would lead them in a revolt against Rome. And of course, all of this took while the Romans were in charge. What the people really wanted was somebody riding on a horse, the symbol of war to those people. But instead, Jesus' selection as the foal of a donkey really communicated the exact opposite. He came to bring peace. And that had been made clear by the angels at his birth for you again. Remember Luke's story. Remember? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace towards men on whom his favor rests. It was instead as Jesus came on a donkey into Jerusalem a deliberate proclamation of peace for you and for me toward the almighty God. Because he was moving steadily and directly to Calvary, to the cross. Peace that you and I surely desperately need as a sinful people in relation to a holy God. But before the week had passed, all right, before that week had passed. Matthew tells us, chapter 27, they twisted together a crown of thorns 
They set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, knelt in front of him and mocked him, saying, Ha ha, hail, king of the Jews. But before the set week was over, they had shouted Hosanna, but they yelled at the end of the week, Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. They greeted him with joy on his arrival in Jerusalem. But before the week was over, the applause had totally ended. Remember, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a king on a donkey's coat. But a king without a palace, a king without a throne, a king with no apparent kingdom, it had rapidly become clear that Jesus Christ had come into Jerusalem that day as the suffering king, the king that had been foretold in all of Scripture, not as a triumphant king over the Romans, as the people wanted, as a multitude who had shouted and praised him on that day, because unfortunately, before the week was over, they were ready to crucify him. One week. And let me ask you this morning, and I ask myself the same question. As I leave to church today and go about the week that is ahead of me, will you or will I totally discard him in thought and in word? And indeed, it had all been prophetically written as a rival simply really preceded his betrayal. Listen to scripture this morning. Jesus had come from heaven to die for you and for me. Secondly, this morning, the whole story shows that denseness of people. They and we too need our eyes open to truth. Look at the honesty of the gospel writers. John pointed out so clearly the denseness of John, the gospel writer. He just talked, if you turn to the passage in chapter 12, he just talked about Palm Sunday in his gospel, all right, the whole story. And immediately after talking about the triumphal entry, John chapter 12 pins these words. At first, his disciples didn't understand. They didn't realize what was happening. It was not until after Jesus was glorified. They didn't realize that these things were written about him and that they'd really pierced him and done these things to him. Remember that never before had Jesus publicly declared who he was. But now, Luke writes, chapter 19, if anyone asks you why you are untying this coat, tell him the Lord needs it. Something deliberate was taking place. Before this time, before this incident on Palm Sunday, Jesus had told those whom he'd healed, keep quiet, don't tell anybody about it. 
And when the crowd had wanted to make him king, the story tells us that Jesus had left the crowd and departed from him. Luke chapter 8 tells the story of the first incident. The parents of Jairus, his daughter, the parents of that daughter of Jairus and his wife, had discovered that she died. And they brought Jesus into the room to pray. And Jesus stepped into that bedroom of Jairus' daughter. And he said, she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn when she rose from the dead. And Jesus said to these parents, don't tell anybody. Why not? Why not announce it? There was another occasion in John chapter 9 tells us that the people of the city wanted to come and make Jesus king. And the story tells us that Jesus withdrew to a mountain by himself. But now, on this day in Palm Sunday, Jesus is making an open declaration of who he was. The people then, as now, as today, seem unable to grasp the truth. Tragically, it's not a new thing that we fail to grasp the truth often. You remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? You know that story as well as I do. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, after the story of the feeding of the 5,000, you know how miraculous it was? The Scripture writes, or Mark writes, they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Mark chapter 9, verse 31 through 32 says, because he was teaching his disciples, and Jesus now is teaching his disciples. Got that? Got the picture? And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. But Mark says, they didn't understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him. And then John writes, and this is an amazing story. John writes about Thomas and Philip. All right, Thomas and Philip were two of his very close disciples. And John writes in a passage you and I probably quote this morning. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And you know the way to the place and where I am. And Thomas, his disciple, his disciple, said, Lord, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip, another real disciple, said to him, Lord, 
Show us the Father. That'll be enough. We all need our eyes opened to the truth. But only after Jesus died on Calvary and had risen from the dead can our eyes, our spiritual eyes, really be opened. Do you remember the story, I'm sure you do, of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? And Luke said Jesus joined them. This is after the resurrection, of course. Jesus joined them. He said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not Jesus have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what had been said in Scripture concerning himself. And as they approached the, vi the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as though he'd go further. They asked him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he stayed with them. And when he was at table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And suddenly, their eyes were opened. And they said, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us? disciples of the risen Jesus, that he had simply died and been buried. Folk, the whole New Testament was written to us because Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. He rose from the dead and he was alive. Good to have the right connections. If you've got the right connection with God, you're alive. If you don't have the right connections, you're not alive, okay? So there's the truth. Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. He rose from the dead and he's alive this very morning. And our eyes need to be open to the truth. Thirdly, this morning, the story shows us the absolute love, grace, and mercy of God to each one of us for opening our eyes to the truth of God. His arrival into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, demands our response. The question that challenges us as this Holy of All Weeks begins is are we willing to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is King and make Him King and Lord of our own lives? Let me ask you again. Are we willing to acknowledge that Jesus is King and make him then King and Lord over our own lives. We'll soon file out of church, go to our various tasks for today, or leave our rooms where we're watching, or hide a guy wherever we are. We need to remember this very morning that seven days had simply slipped by after Palm Sunday, 
And the crowd that acknowledged him as king applauded him, totally deserted him. Jesus walked to Golgotha during that final week after Passover week, physically weak from the beatings he'd received. He stumbled. He carried his own cross. He was physically weak and stumbled under the weight of the cross. And the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, commanded a guy called Simon to carry the cross. Have you ever wondered, where were all his disciples? Weren't they following? Couldn't one of them say, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. They had all fled. They were absent. And when Jesus arrived at Golgotha, they crucified him on the tree. They grow, drove great nails, very long nails through his hands and his feet, for they had to hold the whole body up on the cross. And they crowned him with a crown of thorns. And red were his wounds and deep, for they were cruel, cruel times. And human flesh was very cheap. He gasped for air. Blood dripped from his head that was crowned with thorns. The Romans had perfected total punishment for criminals. But picture Jesus on the cross this morning. For he was dying there for you and for me. He died for you and for me. His descent from the throne of glory where he'd been, his humble birth, his life as a carpenter, his three years of ministry was simply displaying the amazing love and the amazing grace and the amazing mercy of God and Jesus for you and me. Salvation today is for the whole world only because of his love and his grace and his mercy. No wonder Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, for you know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake and my sake, he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. Folks, no one will ever find salvation apart from the love and the mercy and the grace of God at Calvary. He's the only one who can open our eyes and change our hearts and put a song in our mouth. No wonder the psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 40, verse 3, the psalmist said, he put a song, a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Do you remember that immediately preceding this whole episode of the entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was the healing of the blind man? Go back in your story, it's just the story previous to it. He cried out yelled out for Jesus because he heard Jesus was coming on the road. And the people tried to shut him up. 
And Jesus stopped and said to this blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus, he said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately, this blind man received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. If your eyes have already been opened by the power of God to the things of God, and in faith you claim healing from the living God, let me ask you, how closely do you follow him today? If he's really done that glorious miracle for you, how closely do you follow him? Or on this very morning, perhaps, whether you be here in church or out on your home or in Adequai, maybe this very morning you need your eyes open to see Jesus. The only reason Jesus opened the blind eyes and can open your eyes is a wonderful, clear demonstration of the Father's love and grace and mercy in sending his only begotten son, Jesus, to die at Calvary. Have you ever wondered if Jesus exists? Do you believe that God cares for you? Have you ever considered the real identity of Jesus? God sent his only begotten son, the son of Jesus Christ who died for you. Do you need to find, perhaps even this morning, an encounter with the wonderful Jesus so that you can leave the building or go home or change the situation in which you're in and go about your tasks today and the coming week with a song in your mouth? Luke tells us some of the Pharisees on Palm Sunday during Jesus' entry into Jerusalem said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell you, he said, if they keep quiet, the very stones are going to cry out. What do you want to hear this morning? Is it voices singing out because of joy and redemption? Or do you want the stones to cry out? One thing will happen. It's so marvelous. It's so tremendous. It's so absolutely certain that if you and I don't cry out in joy, the stones are going to cry. What do you want to hear this morning? Do you want to hear voices singing out because of joy and redemption? Or do you want stones to cry out? And let me ask you personally this morning, is your voice crying out with joy and redemption? And will your voice be still crying out for joy and redemption on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Let me simply conclude this morning. Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that day, on Palm Sunday, as king. Crowds acclaimed him. The whole city was stirred. The Pharisees complained. But the prophetic voice of all of Scripture declared, This is the King of glory. And Jesus rode in Jerusalem for the last time 
he was on his pathway to the cross for you and me. Jesus asks us over and over again in the gospel, do we really understand the story and the meaning of it, folks? Not one of us is going to really understand the story of the resurrected Jesus unless there's a new miracle, miracle of new birth in our hearts and our lives. The miracle that every one of us needs this morning is the opening of our eyes by the love and the grace and the mercy of God for the divine truth of the whole story. And the final question of the morning as the triumphal entry captures our attention on Palm Sunday, is do we realize, do you realize, do I realize, do we realize that Jesus, the Son of the living God, was deliberately going to the cross for you and for me? Oh, yes. After three hours of darkness that covered the whole place because of the agony of heaven over the price that had to be paid for sin for you and for me, he died. But hallelujah, Jesus did rise the third day. At this very moment, Jesus is alive and seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Jesus who rose from the dead is alive forevermore. Has he opened your eyes to the divine truth? Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week, but it's climaxed in most of our thinking by Easter Sunday, which is next Sunday, which is Resurrection Day. Let me tell you this morning, he has already risen. Hallelujah! That's pretty weak. I said, he has already risen. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. He's already risen. He's seated. This morning, as we're in church, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm amazed that the gospel writer tells us the story very bluntly. Jesus said to a very, very, very godly, religious person, was a great leader, the guy Nicodemus, very, very well known in religious circles of his day. Jesus said to Nicodemus, yes, master, you need what? To be born again. And so the question absolutely is clear for you and me. Are you born again this morning? Or at least are you ready this morning for this miracle to take place in your heart and your life? Maybe you're very religious. Maybe you come to church every week. Maybe you're always here. Be it here in the church or at home, you always listen to the service, or hide a guy, you're always in church. But folk, that's not enough. You need to be born again. And this very morning, the resurrected Jesus wants to open your eyes by his wonderful love and his grace and his mercy so that if you've never accepted him into your heart and life before, he may stir you to open your heart and life to the resurrected Lord.
If you've already done so, and I'm sure many of you have, let this morning in church, Palm Sunday morning, be a day of rededication so that you may sing for joy because Jesus has become the Lord of your life and Savior all. First Sunday of the month is Communion Sunday. Folk, if there is anything to remember, surely it's the reason why we come to communion table. Why was such necessary? Satan would be and is a very powerful foe. But let me tell you this morning, he is a defeated foe. The very real power of the evil one should only be considered in the light of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil has, in so many words, been chained to the cross of Calvary. On that chain he may snarl, he may roar, he may grab for us, but realize this morning that nevertheless his works have been totally destroyed by the glorious work of Jesus Christ. And we need to remember again this morning that because of the work of Jesus Christ, which we remember in communion, the devil who will tempt us again and again is dethroned and we are delivered from the power of the devil. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah. Oh good, that's coming. All right, I wonder if you know the old hymn. I was going to sing it for you and I thought hawks don't be so stupid. But here's the old hymn. Upon the cross of Jesus Mine eyes at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders I confess, the wonders of his redeeming love and my unworthiness. I take across thy shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. Content to let the world go by, to know no gain or loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. Is it any wonder the Apostle Paul writes of Christian passage you know so well? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the same way, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Let me invite those who are musicians to come and play for us quietly as we meditate on this truth for a minute this morning. Folks, when we, when you and I come to the communion table again this morning, we are remembering his broken body. This is my body, he said, which is broken. 
Folks, we come to the communion table and we remember his shed blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 